revival prayer. Let's pray. You are coming again. And there is so little time. And the world is so sick and broken. And men and women so sick and so broken. Families destroyed. Lord, I come to pray. Have mercy. In your great overflowing love, have mercy. And deliver your people once more. Come down as in days gone by. Will you not revive us again? In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> there are some very key scriptures I want to share with you. The Holy Spirit is so very real and his presence is so powerful. He's come to tell us about Jesus. He's come to quicken our hearts. He's come to heal our bodies and restore our souls. Some of you have had your soul stolen by the devil. He wants to restore that soul again. Psalm 85. I'll begin at verse 4. Restore us again, O God, our Savior. And put away your displeasure toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. And some of you may say, the Lord's angry with us. Yes. What's the sign of his anger? God's anger is first always demonstrated by his withdrawal. And as he withdraws from us, we begin to be lukewarm. We begin to be casual. There's no zeal. When we wake up in the morning, our first thought is not, Jesus, I love you. Thank you for another day. What would you have me do today? We don't wake up that way. We wake up and want to turn the news on. Or we want to wake up and grab a cup of coffee. And our thoughts are about, oh, I've got to do this, and I've got to do this, and I've got to do this. No, when the Holy Spirit comes, our desire is immediately to get into his presence, to begin to pray, to begin to cry out. The judgments of God are on the church today. You know that judgment is there because of the casualness because of the shallowness, because people are not even aware that they're shallow and casual anymore. It is the norm. It is not the exception. 
when the Holy Spirit comes, there's no more casualness. There's a burning zeal in our heart to get into the presence of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit comes to bring us into the presence of Jesus. That's where our hearts are healed. That's where our bodies are healed. That's where our minds are restored, only in the presence of Jesus. So don't look at the church today and say, oh, we're doing great. The numbers are up. The finances are in. The buildings are beautiful. The pastor's great. None of that means the presence of God is with us. It just means we're professional. We know how to put on the shtick. We know how to do the show. But there's no depth. There's no longing after the lost. There's no weeping over the dying. When was the last time you spent a night weeping before God for the lost? We don't even know about that today. That's coming again, by the way. God is going to pour out such a passion in our hearts, in the church, for the lost and the dying, that we won't be able to stand not coming into his presence and pleading for our children and pleading for our wives and our husbands and pleading that he would wash and cleanse us and bring us into his heart. The heart of Jesus is love, it's zeal, it's passion, it's power. We've got to get there. I will listen to what God the Lord says. He promised peace to his people, his saints, but let them not return to folly. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land, America. His glory is not dwelling in America. The reason the glory of God is not dwelling in America is because we're the Laodicea church, casual, laid back, interested in the football. Everybody's geared up for the Super Bowl. Who's going to win? The Eagles? Patriots? Does it matter? Does it really matter? It's a distraction to keep the body of Christ from recognizing that hell's door is wide open and people are flooding into that door. And they're lost forever. Cast into the fire of hell forever. Well, the church is distracted with Super Bowl parties. Come on. It's sin against God. It's a sign of his judgment upon the church. You look in the program, any church program, and you see if there's a Super Bowl party going on in that church, the judgment of God is on that church. That's the sign of God's judgment. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. You know where that happened? Yes. At the cross. At the cross. Or look at seven, Second Chronicles. You know that one, 714. If my people 
Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. Well, how do you humble yourselves? I'll tell you how I have to humble myself. I have to recognize that I'm not the man, that Jesus is the man, and that I'm not in charge. Jesus is in charge. A man said to me, called me on the phone, he said to me, I'm so angry, my blood is boiling, pastor. I said, why? What are you so mad about? God is not doing what I need him to do. He's slow. Oh, you're mad at God. Yes, I'm mad at God. He's not being fair with me. Look how he's mistreating me. Oh, I said, brother, repent now. Repent quickly. You're in sin. Your arms are too short to box with God. Give it up. And before I got off the phone with him, he said, Pastor, I repent. What was he doing? He was humbling his heart. He'd been saying in the conversation, I want to be in charge for a bit of my own life. Why can't God just leave me alone? So, oh, brother, if God leaves you alone, you're hellbound. It's over. Don't go there. Humble our heart. How do we humble? We give up authority and control over our life. We surrender it to Jesus. Pray. And what do we pray? Not, now I lay me down to sleep. Not childish prayers. Pray, it says, seek my face. We pray seeking the face of God, not his hand. Not what we can get him to do for us. We seek his face. His face is beautiful. His face is compassionate full of mercy, full of kindness. We seek his face. We don't grab and growl. We don't demand. We seek his face. We surrender. And then it says, turn from their wicked ways. Well, the prayer is to prepare us to stop our wicked ways, to turn our hearts. And then he says, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. You know where revival has to start. Draw a circle right here. Revival starts here. It starts with you. Well, pastor, I don't need revival. I'm revived. Oh, where's your flock? Where are the people you brought to Jesus? Are you a fisher of men? If there's no one you brought to Jesus, you desperately need revival. You need the power of God in your life to flow with healing for disease, sickness, sin. If you don't have that power, you need revival. Well, what does the word revival mean? Well, literally, 
The word revive means to be quickened, to be made alive. In this Psalm 85, where it says, revive us again, it means to quicken, to, to breathe life into, to make alive. But let me just say quickly aside, if you're just churched and you just love Jesus, but you've never been born again, you can't be revived. You have to be converted. Until you're converted, you can't be made alive because you're dead. You're dead in your trespasses and your sins. Do you know how hard it is for a person to follow Jesus when they haven't been born from above? They say it's hard to follow Jesus. No, it's not. It's hard to serve the devil. He's a hard taskmaster. Jesus is not hard. The devil's hard. So when we pray for revival, we believe vive. We believe you've already been alive. And now you need the breath of God breathed into you so that all bitterness of spirit, all crudeness of heart, all meanness, all judgments, all impatience and hardness. Look, you may have been a Christian a long time, but you may have a lot of underbrush in your life that needs burned out. Will you let God burn that underbrush out? Will you let him clean you up, wash you and make you whole? This Second Chronicles 7.14 says, Your ways... What are your ways? Your ways are the habits you have. We all have a set of habits that we feel comfortable with. Some of you feel comfortable when you hit the coffee shop and you have that morning coffee. Or when you go out in the kitchen and you put that coffee machine on and you're drinking that coffee in the morning and you say, ah, oh, I can face the day. <laughs> That's your way. You have people you call, you have places you go, you have work you attend to. That's your way. He's saying, examine your ways and make sure that your ways are not underbrush in your life that need to be burned out. Some of you come home at night, you hit the television and you spend the whole evening feasting on wickedness, on darkness. And then you wonder why your heart is seared and you have no real interest in reading the scriptures because the underbrush in your life has so tangled you, you have no interest in Jesus. And if you're going to humble your heart, you're going to have to let him burn that out of your life. Some of you like pot. Some of you like alcohol. Some of you are addicted to other things. All addictions have to be burned out by the blood of Jesus, washed and made clean. If you go with me to Psalm 51, this, of course, is the famous 
prayer of David after he committed adultery with Bathsheba. As a child, we had morning and evening worship. Everyone in the family prayed, five of us. My dad always prayed this in his prayer. Oh God, create in me a pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. He would pray that every day. Twice a day I heard my daddy say that. It made an indelible impression in my mind as a child. It's carried through into adulthood. This is a man who knew that he was a total end if the Holy Spirit did not come and make him holy. And he cried out to God, make me a holy man. Make me a righteous man by your blood. By your power, make me righteous. There's one last scripture I want to turn to, and then we're going to go to the story that I want to share. In the book of Acts, after the crippled man has been healed and they're astonished, they all come to him and say, what are we supposed to do? In verse 14, repent then. Turn to God that your sins may be wiped out and times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Times of revival may come from the Lord. Revival flows from the heart of God. It is what he most desires for us. He wants us to be alive, not dead. Sin kills. Righteousness brings life. Now, please, let me say one thing to you before we go to the story. You know tonight whether you've been sinning against God. You know how you stand with God. Your conscience knows. Your conscience knows if you've been cheating your conscience is telling you if you know you're off track with God. Your conscience knows if you are lukewarm. If you are self-indulgent. Your, your conscience knows. And your conscience will testify against you in the great day of judgment. And the Lord will say, listen now to your conscience. And I suspect he's going to play a tape of your conscience. As your conscience tells you, don't go there, don't do that, stop, turn to Jesus, and you denied your conscience and walked away. The conviction will be so deep, you will fall with weeping and gnashing of teeth, and it will be too late. You'll be bound by the angels and carried to the gateway of hell and cast in. That's what the scriptures say. Don't deny your conscience. Now, all that I've said to you tonight 
comes down to one simple thing. God is trying to bring you to a place in your life by circumstances, by the Holy Spirit, by your conscience. He's trying to bring you to one simple place in your heart. And that is where you will pray for revival for yourself and for the church. You can look at the church and you can identify all the problems and you can get discouraged and mad. You can backbite. You can complain and be bitter. That's all the devil's way. Or you can begin to enter into this prayer I'm talking about tonight. The prayer of revival. Now I want to share with you this story out of Genesis, this 32nd chapter. It's the story of Jacob. Jacob has to meet Esau. Esau is pagan, and he has 400 armed soldiers. And all Jacob cares about are his children and his two wives. He also cares about his sheep and his oxen. He cares about his camels and his livestock. That's his money. So Jacob cares about two things. He cares about his family and he cares about his money. Any of you like that? <laughs> the two big concerns of the human heart. Those who are mine and money. That's where Jacob's heart was. And now it looks like he's going to lose all of his money and he's going to lose his family. <clears throat> and with that twin pressure coming on his heart, he is forced into revival prayer. So he tries to do his best to pacify his brother. He selects rich herds of livestock and he sends all of the sheep and then he sends the goats and then he sends herd after herd. And he says to try to pacify my brother so that he won't destroy me. Can I tell you? God is often in Esau and uses him as a whip on the back of a person he wants to save. God is willing to do whatever he has to do to bring a church or a person into a place where they will finally pray. Are you feeling any of that pressure in your life? God is saying, I love you so much. I'm trying to bring you to myself so that you will pray. See, God wants to do one thing with you. He wants you to come to an end of yourself. Where you have no more ideas, you have no more strategies, you have no more plans. It is now totally God. And will he deliver you? Or are you going to lose all your money? You're going to lose those you love, and you're going to be alone. 
and you're going to get wiped out because nobody's going to stand with you. That's where he wants to bring you so that you will finally decide my only avenue is to pray. There is never revival without prayer. But there's never prayer unless we have to pray. Research shows very clearly people don't pray unless they have to. So God brings those pinchers together of family and money. Those are his two favorite pinchers. He brings those together to force us into the prayer closet so that we will finally come to an end of ourselves. Now, listen. Jacob, this is Genesis 32, verse 22. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And after he'd sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. Ah, that's where God wants to get us. He wants you to send your loved ones. He wants you to send your money all across the Jabbok. He wants to get you alone. He wants to deal with you. And it says, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. So some man grabs him. And Jacob is a strong man. And they go to it. Body blows. Desperate, gouging, struggling. He's sure it's his brother Esau trying to kill him. But you know what? Jacob's enemy was not his brother. Jacob's enemy was Jesus Christ. Now let that sink in just a minute. Jesus is an enemy to every sin. He is an enemy to pride. He is an enemy to abuse. He is an enemy to sickness. He cannot tolerate it. He wants those things gone out of our lives. What do you have in your life tonight that Jesus stands as an enemy to? Can I really step in it? Jesus is an enemy to your television. Jesus is an enemy to everything in your life that takes away from his glory and his power and his love and his kindness. It is an enemy of Jesus. And you know what? Jesus always deals with his enemies. He defeated them all at the cross. Every part of your heart that stands as an enemy to Jesus has already been defeated at the cross of Jesus. The sickness is defeated. The loneliness is defeated. The lack of finances is defeated. Every enemy has been defeated at the cross. Now these things have to be defeated in your life. 
But Jesus is going to use those enemies to put a pincher move on you. And by the way, that pincher move may last for years. Depends on how entrenched we are in our beliefs and in our ways and in our shallowness because it takes us a long time to even begin to understand that it's God moving and not the devil. See, the devil's not the ruler. Jesus is the ruler. So the devil even has to obey Jesus. Jacob, left alone, bitterly fighting all night, sweating, growling, grunting, thrashing, body blows. It was a bitter fight. When the man saw that he could not overcome him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip. His hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go for it's daybreak. And Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Somewhere in the battle, it dawned on Jacob that he was not dealing with his brother. He was dealing with God. And his anger and his defensiveness and his hurt and his rage all transitioned into a humility with his wrenched hip. And he begins now to cry out, I will not let you go until you bless me. Revival prayer. That's what it is. Where we finally transition out of our defensiveness, out of our demands, out of our shallowness. And we finally recognize it's God himself we're dealing with. It's God we're dealing with. And when we understand that it's God we're dealing with, all we can do, I said, Lord, I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. Now I'm going to be very straight with you tonight. That's where I'm at. That's where I'm at. I'm saying, Jesus, I will not let go of you until you send revival to your church. I'm going to hang on. Even if I look like a fool, I am going to hang on until you come and bless your church. Because I'm part of the church. I'm not separate from the church. We're the church. I'm not going to let go of God until he brings his blessing. I'm not going to let go of you, Jesus. I told him that this morning. Jesus, I'm not going to let go of you until you bless your church. There have to be, there have to be signs and wonders of healing the sick. There have to be families restored. 
There have to be men and women who will weep before you for their sin and who will humble their heart and be converted. There have to be men and women who are willing to say, okay, it doesn't matter about the finances anymore. It doesn't matter about my sheep that are across the way. It doesn't matter about my family that's across the way. I'm not going to let you go, Jesus, until you bless me. And you hang on, and you hang on, and you hang on. I've come to another end of myself. I'm at the end. I can't go any further. I don't have any human strength to go any further. I don't have any money to go any further. I'm at an end. Jesus, I won't let you go. I will not let you go until you bless me. Isn't it the blessing of Jesus that we most desire? Isn't it the presence of the indwelling Holy Spirit that our heart cries out for? Even if you are unconverted tonight and a sinner before him, isn't there a cry in your heart that says, Jesus, save me? I have yet to meet a sinner who, when pressed to the final end, will not say, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. But he won't come to me, and I'm lost, and I can't help it. And his pride, he goes off. And then comes the hound of heaven, crying out after that dear sinner. If you have a loved one who is not a Christian, pray the hound of heaven will go after him. In that wonderful poem, the man falls down. He can't run any further. And he feels the hot breath of the hound of heaven as he comes and begins to lick his face. He revives. He gets up and he runs again. And the hound of heaven stays on his trail. God will have you until finally you say, I want to go to hell. Will you have God? The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. You know the meaning of Jacob. Heel grabber. Always grabbing for the next deal. Always grabbing for the money. Always grabbing for what you want. You're a Jacob. We're all Jacobs when we're born. We're born with the Jacob nature. Revival prayer is where we finally come to an end of Jacob. The man said, your name will no longer be Jacob but Israel, Israel meaning he struggles with God. And he overcomes. Because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. Why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. And Jacob called the place 
penal saying, it's because I saw God face to face and my life was spared. My brother, my sister, have you come yet to an end of yourself? Has God's pincher move on your life brought you to an end of yourself? Or are you still strategizing for how you can get around God? He's calling you. He loves you. His compassion is beyond anything we can even imagine. Have you come to an end of yourself? If you're a sinner, are you willing to repent? If you have a lot of underbrush in your life, are you willing for God to come and burn it out? Are you willing to pray the revival prayer? I will not let you go unless you bless me.